you have children, we would love the opportunity to spend some time with them this morning. We have eBabies, which is our nursery, from ages 0 to 3, and eKids, which is our children's church, from ages 4 to 5th grade. We're learning the same thing in eKids and eBabies that you guys are learning in here. We ask that you help us to do one thing, be the safest church possible. Please stop our electronic check-in system right through the back doors. There's a great big sign that says children's check-in. You'll get a sticker, and your child will get a sticker too with a matching code on it. If they need you at all during service, you'll see a flashing code on the screen, like so. And you can go to the check-in station, and the volunteer will guide you to your child and take you to them. Kids, if you haven't gone, go now! For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matty Thomas. I get to be one of the pastors here at Epiphany Station, and we get to continue our conversation, our teaching series, the Bible. But before we do, there's a couple of really big things that have happened in the life of our church that I'm really excited to share with you about. The first is, you may have kind of had some inkling of what's been going on uh, with our efforts towards the Penton County Parade and Fair. But honestly, this year was insane. We, uh, we partnered up with four other churches and two other organizations to bring the biggest show out of support during our parade walk we've ever seen. Somewhere between 150, 175 people walking together in the float and on the parade to show people that we actually all genuinely believe that prayer works and that God loves people. And then that led to an amazing time at the fair. Prayer at the fair was there noon to midnight, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Some of you diligently went and were people who were praying for others at that event. And we saw, and I kid you not, hundreds and hundreds of people come in and through the, the prayer tent. We were able to pray for dozens of people and at least two salvation decisions made that we're aware of. So thank you, everyone. And so we saw these things happen, and what we, need to be, what we want to make sure that we do is when things like this happen, we see big wins, that we are giving God the credit and giving Him the honor for what He is doing. Because the next thing is even more insane than that. Uh, the other thing that happened this last week, it was actually last Sunday afternoon, uh, is we saw the single biggest, greatest expression of people making public declarations of faith we've ever seen. We were able to baptize 21 people last Sunday afternoon. And so we, we celebrate these things together because that's what we're here to do. We're here to show our community that God loves them. We're here to show people that we love them. And just through the prayer of the fair and the parade and through baptism, we get to see that God is doing tremendous things and we just get to be a part of it. So in that, if you are kind of new to Epiphany Station, maybe that you're just checking us out or you want to know if there's ways that you can get plugged in here, that's what I want to tell you about next is 
we want to make sure that people who want to can do. So around the facility today, you're going to find a bunch of connection cards. And I want to talk to you specifically about this one. It's our Introduce Yourself connection card. Uh, it can be found wherever there's a red box in the facility. It can also be found at the welcome station. And if you are looking to maybe get plugged in or you're looking to make a meaningful connection here, here's one step you can take. Grab the red card, fill it out, drop it in a red box. And then finally, if you're looking to support the kind of things that are going on here at Epiphany Station, we love and value people who serve and people who give generously and sacrificially here. Uh, there's no higher denomination pouring funds in. What happens here is because you guys make it happen here. So if you want to give at Epiphany Station to do and you actually want to, don't feel forced to, then we'd love you to. That's why we have our red boxes spread throughout the facility. It's why we have a tablet with a card reader in the corner of this very room. And it's why we have giving options online at epiphanystation.com. But all of this is to help us understand how we can be part of what God's doing. Speaking of what God's doing, let's have a conversation a little bit about what we've covered over the last five weeks of conversation from the Bible teaching series. We talked in week one about the very beginning of all things, God's creation, and how God's creation defines for us our purpose. The next conversation we had in the series was about how God's law teaches us the difference between good and evil and what we were made for. Week three was a conversation about how God moves and uses people to show the world who he is. Week four was a conversation about God's kings and how he desired a heart of humility, even from the greatest and most powerful. And week five, two weeks ago, was a conversation about God's prophets, people who shared messages and specifically shared a message about his grand plan. Now, if you've missed any of these conversations from this series, you can again go to epiphanystation.com and find them under the watch tab because everything that we've done so far, that first five-week block, has been leading us to where we're at today. Because now we're going to shift gear a little bit. We're going to go from the first five weeks, which was focused on the Old Testament, the older half of the conversation about God and mankind, to the new half, the back half, the New Testament, because we're on the back half of summer. Isn't that just a depressing thing to accept? But we're going to walk now through the New Testament together, starting today with where we left off. Because where we left off was some of God's prophets, specifically one of them saying, God's got a plan. He has a plan to see all wrong things made right. And this plan is going to be centered on a birth, the birth of a boy, the birth of this child who's going to make everything right. And so today we pick up a conversation by talking about why Jesus was born. Christmas in July. Now, why Jesus was born, we talk about Christmas, we all kind of get these ideas of the Christmas story. No matter what your interaction is, you either love it or you tolerate it or you don't. And in the Christmas story, there's so many things we kind of like. You know, Jesus is kind of like an underdog story and they have to travel far and find an inn. There's a manger and there's animals and there's shepherds and there's three wise men who probably came down from England because where else are you going to find wise men? And so, <laughs> biblically correct, I studied. <laughs> country didn't even exist. Anyway, we have all these different things like, oh yeah, Christmas story. And because we have, oh, Christmas story, we can sometimes miss out on the significance of Jesus' birth. Everything we've talked about and looked at from the Old Testament over the past five weeks tells us everything was being set for this moment. To the point that this is actually the culmination of hundreds and hundreds year old prophecies coming true. Like this was God's millennia-old plan that was coming to fruition. And when we miss some of those things that he's been doing, we can also miss the very now significance to you and I about what his birth meant. 
So we're going to walk through it, and we're going to jump around a little bit into his, in his birth and in his life to see what Jesus himself had to say about why he came and why he was born. So we're jumping into the New Testament, the new half of the Bible, and the first four books of it are simply stories about Jesus' life. They are narratives, historical records, and we're going to look in the book of Luke. Luke was a doctor and a believer who sought to help everyone understand what Jesus' birth meant, the significance of his life and death. And we find, right at the beginning of Luke, chapter 1, we find an excitement brewing. Because this is just a moment before he's born, and we see preceding his birth a great excitement about him being born. But not only an excitement, but we also see in the words that are shared that there was also kind of a need for Jesus to be born. Like a desperation for him to come. So Luke chapter 1, verse 77, these are the words, that's the last prophecy about Jesus' birth. These are the words of Jesus' uncle. He said this, he said, look, you're going to tell his people, God's people, how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. God's offer, this thing leading to Jesus' birth, seems to be centered around three things that if you've been here for the past, the half, first half of the conversation, they're nothing new. God seems to think that there's a need for mercy for mankind, like they should be forgiven for their sins. He seems to think that there's a lot of darkness in the world, and therefore he needs to give light. And he seems to think that he needs to offer us a path to peace, to reconciliation. Here's the weird thing about Jesus' birth. It seems also very necessary because everything else isn't working. It seems like everything that God has done until now isn't really taking root. Like everything that he's done, like his creation and his laws and his people and his kings and his prophets seems to have led people to not listen, to not take up on the offer because there are apparently still people sitting in darkness. And in the shadow of death, there are still people in need of mercy and a path to peace because people were still at war with each other, with themselves and with God. This is the context in which Jesus is born into. It's not everything's peachy king, like God's story is genuinely getting better and better and better. The Old Testament shows us that when we take even the best plans of God for ourselves, we screw them up. So what happens is Jesus is born at a time when all of God's laws have been perverted. At the very best, they've just become hoop-jumping exercises so people can prove they're better than each other. God's people, when Jesus is born, are separated. Several different camps, several different beliefs, kind of minute, microscopic beliefs that separate them from each other and keep them at war with one another. Jesus is born after a slew of evil kings led Israel, led God's people. And they actually finally lost their sovereignty to the Roman Empire. And Jesus is born after 400 years of silence because God's people were so good at killing God's prophets off. And we see that they weren't just good then, they're going to get really good at it again really soon in the story here. And so Jesus is born. He's born because there seems to be a need, because it seems that everything that happened wasn't fulfilling the goal. It wasn't working. There was still this huge gap between God and people, and apparently God was not okay with that. So Jesus is born. Jesus is born because apparently the oldest problem is still a problem. 
And the oldest threat to mankind is still the greatest threat that every man, woman, and child faced. And so Jesus is born. Jesus is born with a new solution to the old problem. Jesus is born with a new way for people to reconcile with God as the old ways have been abandoned. And Jesus was born so he could offer a new perfect ending to life. One that would be accessible to everyone. That wouldn't be based on whether the king decided to follow it or not. That wouldn't be based on the good or poor mediation of priests. But instead would be something that individual people get to choose to believe and to hold as truth. Or not to believe. This is why Jesus was born. We see throughout all of Jesus' life, as we'll dig into a little bit more next week's conversation, we see that he talks about coming for one reason and one reason alone. He came to do one thing. And so even at the end of his life, when he's facing what he knows is to come, which is going to be his death, we find him answering, even in his own words, what it meant for him to be born and why he was born. We see him facing trial, question after question, all evening, all into the early morning, all into the next day, finally coming in front of a guy called Pontius Pilate, who grills him with questions. Why are you here? Why do they hate you? What are you going to do? You're going to set up your own little domain. You're going to get your own little kingdom. You're going to get your own little cult or sect of Jews to go and lead and follow yourself. What are you here to do? And we see Jesus' response. Pilate said to him, so, you're a king. And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born. I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Pilate's response, what is truth? And then he walks out. Jesus, when he has this moment to be able to tell probably the most important and probably the most powerful person Right there in the moment of his life, the one who had his life in the balance. You guys so you're a king. Well, actually, no, you say I'm a king. They say I'm a king. Everyone says that I'm going to rise up in revolution. You're all horribly wrong. It's not why I was born. He says the single reason that he was born was to testify to the truth so that people could hear the truth. If that's true, like if that little snippet, tiny chunk, New Testament of what Jesus said is true, that means everything in God's story was for that moment. That means everything that has happened beforehand, like the 2,000 years and the generations of people we have on record before Jesus, they were all setting the table for him to come testify to the truth. It meant that his birth, life, death, resurrection, was so he could testify to the truth. It means that the church now exists 2,000 years hence, so we can testify to the truth. Now get this. If that's true, that means that everything God has done throughout all time has been so you can hear the truth. Everything that he has done before you and during your life has been so you can understand and hear this truth. Pilate responds to Jesus in the same way a lot of us do. It's the question you've been asking your entire life. What is truth? Where is truth? How do I know what is true and what is not? And in, a, in an age when we have more information at our fingertips than ever, we feel more lost. Because there's so much truth out there. So much literature for us to read, movies to watch, religions out the wazoo. 
There are experts and gurus. There are smart people and dumb people, good people and bad people, arrogant people and humble people, all telling you what the truth is and all disagreeing with one another. They'll tell you what they say is true about creation. They'll tell you about the difference between good and evil and what is good and what is evil. They'll tell you about who we were born to be and they'll tell you what the grand design for mankind was if there was one. And in all that, not one of them did what Jesus did. In fact, you put all the people that have ever tried to tell you anything about the truth and all of them combined have not made the impact in the world that Jesus Christ did with his truth. They have not caused the social upheaval. They have not caused the moral revolution. They have not caused things to get better the way that Jesus Christ did when he said, this is the truth. This is what you need to know. This is the most important thing that you could ever fathom, understand, and believe. Because when he was told to culminate really what it is that is the most important truth we could ever understand, he said this. He said this is how God loves the world. This is how he loves it. That he gave his son, that he gave me, that he gave Jesus to be born so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world for what it's done wrong and how you've screwed up. He sent him into the world to save us from it. So the greatest thing that you could ever hear is that God loves. It's the greatest news you could ever hear. The greatest news you could ever hear is that God loves people. And the greatest news that you will ever come to believe in is that God loves you. That he loves you. And so he tried everything to communicate that love to you. He gave his son to come and be born and come and to live and to come and to die so that you could see and hear the truth 2,000 years later, today, this morning, and hear it and believe it. Because, as back then is now, the greatest threat to you is the threat to your soul. The greatest threat is that you could be separated from your God forever, separated from everything good for the rest of days. And so he sent his son, not to judge you for the stupid things that you've done, not to judge you for the evil things you've willfully done, but to save you from them. And so here is what the Bible is trying to tell you about you. Jesus was born for you. Jesus was born for you. He was born that so through your belief in him, you could have everything that you will ever need. Based on a reconciled relationship with God, you will have everything you could ever want. And it can happen now, it can happen today, it can happen for the rest of your days. And so really no matter where you're coming from this morning, where you'd say you're out on your spiritual journey... Like, you might be a lifelong Christian. Like, you were born, you came down the canal, you slapped your backside, and you said, praise Jesus, and you were ready to go. This might be the first time you've walked into a church in a long time. This might be the first conversation you've ever heard about Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you're coming from, because we will never get beyond, there will never be a more important, there will never be a bigger question for you to answer than this. Was Jesus born to save me? That's the question every single one of us needs to be able to answer daily. Because if he was born to save me, it changes everything. And it's what he said about himself, and it's what we are saying about him to you. And so now the most important thing you'll ever come into contact with is the question, is he born to save me? 
And how you answer that is the most important thing that will ever impact your life. Because he either was or he wasn't. We ask the question, what is truth? There is one or is the other. There's, there's no way these two things live together. Either Jesus, what he said he came to do, he did, or he didn't. Either where Jesus said he was born, he was born, or he wasn't. Either he can have a, give you a reconciled relationship with God, or he can't. Either this is truth, or he's not. And so God offers to you, through the words of Jesus, this, this question, was he born to save me? Was he born to save me? And, and no encouragement, not an encouragement from your parents, not an encouragement from me, can ever come anywhere close to how God has tried so desperately to encourage you to see and hear the truth. The millennia, the generations that he has put into you seeing and understanding the truth about you and then choosing. This is not an optional question for you. This is a compulsory life question. Did Jesus, was Jesus born for me or was he not? And so when you find yourself in life walking through some of the things that were described potentially in the shadow of darkness, or you find yourself in that sphere where everything is depressing, everything is spiraling, everything is wrong, you must ask yourself, did Jesus really be born for me? Was he really born for me or was he not? If he wasn't, good luck. But if he was, it changes everything in the scope of what's happening in your life. Um, everything, everything's peachy keen. Every, everything's fantastic and you don't know what to do with yourself and your life and your purpose and your comforts and your wants. Was Jesus born for me? Because if he was, it changes everything about how you live your life. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to give us in a minute some time to think about this. And it's going to go quiet in here potentially. And I want to give you some time and an opportunity to collect your thoughts and perhaps to have a conversation with God. When we talk about having a conversation with God, what we're talking about is prayer. And prayer on the one hand is simply a conversation with God. And prayer on the other hand is a conversation with the almighty creator and sustainer of all life. It's something we get to do. Because when we talk about what you believe, what you tell me you believe, tell your friends or tell yourself you believe, is not nearly as important as about what you tell God you believe. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that. And maybe you're in here this morning and quite frankly you don't believe anything that I'm saying. Like you don't believe in God, you don't believe he's even there, so therefore trying to talk to him, that'd be pretty stupid. That's what I once believed. And then someone challenged me to believe the inverse. And so I tried this prayer thing. And I want to challenge you this morning, if you don't believe in God whatsoever, no harm, no foul, pray. Worst thing is, you're internally looking a little bit stupid. Best case scenario, it's probably that you're absolutely right and nothing happens. That's probably what you're thinking. But to have the courage to talk to him anyway and say, if you are there, you're going to need to prove that to me because I don't believe that you are. And take the opportunity this morning just to pray. Maybe you're in here and maybe you do believe that God exists, but you've got some severe hang-ups about what he says in his Bible, about what Jesus came to do, about sin, about forgiveness, about salvation, about how the church has been behaving for a couple of thousand years. Then I want to challenge you to take the opportunity to pray and take your doubts and disbeliefs and misgivings to God. And say, either I'm right about all the things that I have a problem with or you're right. And have the courage to hear the answer. Have the courage to be changed 
if he responds. But maybe you're here and maybe you do want to believe, you do want to receive what Jesus is talking about, offering to you a completely renovated life, a completely different purpose, hope and freedom from darkness and from shame. And it's offered to you like it was the very first time it was offered. It's offered again so that you can respond, so that you can talk about the sin and the evil things that you know are in the way. You can ask for forgiveness and expect forgiveness. You can receive the rescue and salvation that is on offer. So we're going to go quiet here. I'm going to give us some time. It's because you can collect your thoughts. If you want to pray, you can pray. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. Don't wait for me to pray. I want you to pray. I want you to talk to God. And then after a little bit of time, I want to pray for you guys. So I want to challenge you, if you're up for it, to do that now. God, I thank you for the chance for us to get quiet this morning and to wrestle with this question. I ask you to help us actually wrestle with it. Help us not to dismiss it. Help us not to just push it to one side, but help us to actually think to ourselves, what do we believe about the birth of Jesus? Does it mean all he said it meant? Or does it not? Help some of us remember what his birth means and how it displays an eternal and, and affectionate and jealous and desperate love for us that goes beyond just how much of a screw-up we are, how much we struggle or how much we doubt. But we take our confidence in what you've already said about your love for us that it's going to go on. God, I ask you to help us, just the, the hundred of us in here, that we wouldn't be willing to, to let go of the question, that we'd ask it of ourselves regularly, that we'd ask it of other people that would make the conversation about Jesus the most important conversation in our lives and that you would get the truth to us, that we trust that your truth will get to us and that we would just have the humility to respond. We ask you to do this. Believe that you're real. Believe that you love us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.